I will uh, let you know beforehand. There may, may be some times when I don't speak uh, quite as clearly for probably obvious reasons. Um, it hit me when I hit when I uh, smelled the incense, the smells of Advent. And this is the first Sunday of Advent. Now, some of you all might be wondering, I think most everybody here has celebrated before, but maybe somebody watching online, what Advent is all about and why we celebrate it. If you're like me, a former Baptist, you might not have heard much of anything about Advent. We kind of went straight from Thanksgiving into the Christmas season. Those outside of the church go from Thanksgiving to the holy day of Black Friday and then into the parties of Christmastide. So Advent is not important or not known to some people. I think Advent is important um, for a number of reasons. (coughs) Excuse me. We live in a culture that is all about speed, efficiency, and convenience. We can get items delivered in a day or two, which makes it easy to extend the Christmas shopping season. We don't like to wait and see it as a waste of our time because there's so much to do. We fill our lives with instant this and instant that. And we try to forget that we live in a broken world. And all of the hurry and all of the stuff can't fix it. We want to skip right to the celebrating and the fun stuff, the parties, the caroling, all of that, that goes along with Christmas. Advent teaches us to wait. And we don't like to do that. As the people of God in the Old Testament looked at the brokenness around and in them and waited for the promised Messiah, so we too recognize the state of things and we wait with expectation for for the time when the true king returns and sets everything right. I know that if Christmas was the only thing I had to celebrate, this time of year would be sad indeed. The tears that I shed now, and probably from now until Christmas at various times, are not tears of sadness anymore. But if Christmas was all I had, it would be. And I love Christmas. It's my second favorite holiday after Easter. But it also brings some sad memories. For, for years in, in church services, whenever we sang Silent Night, I'd get about halfway in the first verse and then lose it. For some reason, I don't know, but... Advent gives context 
to the sadness. As I wait for the time when everything sad will become untrue. Anyway, that's what Advent means to me. Your results may vary. So today we're beginning a series on the folks around the birth of Jesus Christ. Some are people everyone knows. Others are a bit more obscure. This morning our focus is going to be on Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Zechariah was a priest. He was a descendant of Aaron. And he was in the division of Abijah. So somewhere back there, his descendant Abijah became the father of priests who did a certain job. The church father Origen suggested that Zechariah may have been the one mentioned in Matthew 23:35 as having been killed between the temple and the altar. There are some who believe that Zechariah was killed Because when Herod was out murdering all the babies, Zechariah hid John from Herod. So they they grabbed him and killed him. He is venerated as a saint by the Catholic Church and both the Eastern and Greek Orthodox churches and even as a prophet by the Lutheran Church. (coughs) Excuse me. During the Orthodox Sacrament of Marriage, The priest prays that God will bless the couple as he blessed Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is even considered a prophet in Islam. He was married to Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron. And Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, but we'll talk about her next month. According to Luke 1.6, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous in God's sight and kept his commandments blamelessly. Now, this doesn't mean that they were sinless, but it basically meant that they kept Torah. There's even a Hebrew word for those type of people. It was just the ordinary common folk who kept Torah. I I can't recall the word in the book I have that word in with the translation. It's packed. So, sorry about that. They were like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, sort of. He said, I'm blameless concerning the law. They were those type of people. They were good people, salt of the earth. And Zechariah was a priest, for goodness sake. But they were childless. And they had been praying for a child for quite a while. And Zechariah was in the rotation of priests serving in the temple. On this particular day, he was scheduled to burn incense. Now, while Zechariah was going out his duties, he looked up, and on the right side of the altar of incense, there stood an angel. I don't know what your reaction would be. Mine would probably be like Zechariah's. He was startled. He was terrified. Now, there's a couple of explanations for this fear other than the fact that he had just seen an angel. And it had been 400 years since God had spoken to his people. So not too many people were seeing angels in those days. 
Some commentators believe that the right side of the altar of incense was directly where the entrance to the Holy of Holies was. And they believe that Zechariah might have thought for an instant that he had come face to face with Yahweh. And back then, if you came face to face with Yahweh, that was it. You were struck dead. So it's reasonable that Zechariah would be terrified. The angel spoke, and he told Zechariah not to be afraid, that God had answered his prayers for a child. Now, this was not going to be an ordinary child, though. The waiting was over. God was once again going to visit his people. And this child was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, be great in the sight of the Lord, and be the reason many would rejoice. He would bring back the people to God and prepare them for the Lord. So what was Zechariah's reaction? Maybe the same as most of us would have. How is that going to happen? I'm an old man, and my wife is not exactly young either. Now, even though Zechariah had heard the accounts of the past of older or barren women giving birth, he didn't think that such a thing could happen to him. He had even prayed for his son, but seems to have lost hope that God would grant his request. Now, none of us have ever done that, right? Prayed for something and then lost hope that God was going to actually answer us. Gabriel didn't argue with Zechariah. He didn't try to convince him. He said, look, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to give you this good news. But since you don't believe me, you won't be able to speak until the child is born. Now, while all this was happening, the worshipers outside were getting a bit concerned. Because Zechariah had been in there so long. They were afraid that something terrible had happened to him. And there were accounts in the Old Testament of people being struck dead. Because they brought an impure sacrifice. Or otherwise failed to do things in the prescribed way. Like uh, Uzziah. Touching the, ark, touching the wagon that the Ark of the Covenant was being carried in, or touching the, the Ark and being struck dead. Now, the high priest who entered the Holy of Holies once a year wore bells on his robe and had a cord tied around his ankle just in case he did something wrong and was struck dead. That way the people could pull him out and they wouldn't have to go in themselves. When Zechariah finally came out, he couldn't speak. So he tried communicating by signaling with his hand. The people realized that he'd seen a vision. When Zechariah finished his term of service, he returned home. And guess what? Elizabeth became pregnant. Funny how that happens. Nine years later, Elizabeth gave... Nine months later, sorry. (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) Poor Elizabeth. (laughs) 
I know. He really was a special child. Um, Nine months later, Elizabeth gave birth to a son, and there was much rejoicing. On the eighth day after his birth, it was time for this new child to be circumcised. The friends and relatives gathered around and assumed that he would be named Zechariah after his father, or at least something after one of his relatives. That's how they did things back then. Elizabeth spoke up and said, no, his name was John. And the people wondered where she came up with that because no one in the family was named John. And as, as they did back then, they said, well, maybe she doesn't know what she's talking about. Let's ask the father what name he wants his son to bear. So they signaled to him, asking what he wanted. And he motioned for them to give him a writing tablet. He then wrote, his name is John. And immediately he could speak and began to praise God. And of course, all of his neighbors were awestruck. So what is going on here? And not only that, people throughout the whole hill country of Judea talked about and wondered what kind of man this baby was going to grow up to be. They recognized from an early time that God's hand was on him. Zechariah was then filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. (coughs) Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them or bought them their freedom. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. In 2 Samuel 22, 3, we read, my, rock, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my savior. From violent people, you save me. In Psalm 132, 17, The psalmist writes, Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant that he swore, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Trying to go back and forth here. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies, and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And in Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, the prophet uh, prophesied, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. To rescue us, oh, sorry, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. <coughs> Excuse me. It's also that time of year. The cough reemerges. <laughs> then Luke con- concludes this narrative by stating that the child grew and became strong in spirit, or in the spirit, and lived in the wilderness until it was time to appear publicly to Israel. So what can we learn from this account? Well, I think the first thing is God keeps his promises. Sometimes we need to be reminded that when God promises something, he's going to do it. He keeps it. And you think about all the time that Israel waited for a deliverer. And the forerunner was prophesied, so they were waiting for that as well. At least 400 years. But God kept his promise to Israel and really to us to send a redeemer. So if God has promised something, believe it. He has promised that he's going to come again. We're talking about Advent. We're we're looking forward to when the king comes back. He's promised that. He said, I will come back. He's going to keep that. We don't know how long it's going to take. It may take longer than 15 years. We don't know. But he is coming back. I think the second thing that we can learn is uh, God often keeps his promises in a way that's unexpected. Who would have thought that an old priest and his wife who had been praying for a child for years would have been the parents of the forerunner of the Messiah. That was certainly unexpected. The Messiah coming through a virgin, even though it was prophesied back in Isaiah, I think in, the, in that day it was pretty much unexpected. And so many times we look or we think that we know how God is going to do something. And I can tell you that if you think you know how God is going to do something, you're probably wrong. I can't count or remember the number of times I thought God was going to do something a certain way and turned out to be totally opposite of what I thought. And I think the third thing is when God tells us something, 
We do well to trust and believe what he says. I don't know that he's going to necessarily strike any of us uh, mute if we don't believe what he says. But I think sometimes when, when we're walking with a lack of faith in what God has said, sometimes we miss some things. We may miss a blessing. We even at first may miss when it happens. We may look back, oh yeah, that was God working. So we, when he, he tells us something, promises something, it'd be a good idea for us uh, to trust it and believe it. Otherwise, we, uh, you know, we miss out on a lot of good things.